Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. We're here on your community radio station, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from 106.5 FM right here in the historic Hayburn building. But we also live stream anywhere you are. If you're on some holiday travels this winter, you're welcome to join us and keep up with what's going on in Louisville right here at forwardradio.org. We live stream 24-7 and you can find archives of all of our local programs there if you love the shows you're listening to and you want to share them with other people in this season of sharing well go to forwardradio.org and you can find them all there that's also the place to give to us it is a season of giving and we rely entirely on your support to keep this radio station on the air so for $20 you could sponsor the entire day's broadcast Uh, and we also rely entirely on volunteer support and you can become a volunteer and learn more about that at forwardradio.org well what we do here on sustainability each week is sustainability now each week is bring folks from around the community who are doing great work in sustainability and we're going to talk about sustainable agriculture and organic agriculture today with the executive director of the organic association of kentucky oak uh, oak we're bringing into the virtual studio today brooke gentile welcome brooke Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me today. Thanks. Where are you joining us from today? I'm calling in from Lexington, Woo-hoo. Kentucky, but but I'm originally from Louisville. So right. um, know the city, love the city. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And of course, Oak works statewide, right? Uh, tell us about the organization and what you all do. Yeah. So the Organic Association of Kentucky is a nonprofit organization, and we work with farmers and researchers and community members and local food advocates all across the state. We were founded about 12 years ago by farmers, primarily to serve farmers and advance organic practices in the state. So we can we can get more into the details in a little bit, but that's that's sort of who we are and how long we've been around. Yeah, that's awesome. And I should have said right off the bat that you can find out more about Oak at oak-ky.org. Are you also on socials? We are, or it's a long one, Organic Association <laughs> of Kentucky on all platforms. Okay. <laughs> you will find them there. Uh, so, wow, 12, a 12 year history. That's, that's really, uh, we're celebrating. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure organic agriculture is much older than that in Kentucky, right? So, uh, tell us a little bit about that sort of historical perspective of, of ag in Kentucky and why an organization like Oak was, was needed uh, 12 years ago. Yeah, of course. Um, So, you know, of course, when we talk about organic agriculture, we can talk about organic practices, um, which includes things like uh, cover cropping, rotational grazing, um, rotating your crops, and really caring for and working to increase the health of your soil, your plants, your animals, your water quality, all these things, right? Like those, that's the foundational understanding. And um, you know, in Kentucky, there are 75,000 farms. Wow. A lot of them are using practices that are sustainable, right? Um, there aren't that many that are certified organic. So just wanted to articulate the difference there a little bit. When you talk about certified organic, these are folks that are um, applying for a marketing program that's administered by USDA. Um, and so we can get into those details a little later, but just at the outset, you know, we're really about making sure that all farmers have access to knowledge and resources that can help them 
rapidly adopt organic practices that we know have these really positive environmental benefits, but they're also really good for the farm's bottom line in terms of reducing the need for off-farm inputs, right. um, increasing their productivity, right? Um, so we're looking at how do we how do we improve that overall? Um, and to your point, your your inquiry about these these practices, like they're they're historical practices. These are like tools, technologies, resources, practices that have been stewarded by our ancestors, right? Yeah. Um, the actual genetics that are the foundation for our food and our livestock varieties today um, have been carefully stewarded for millennia, right? And so we owe a debt of gratitude to that knowledge, that deep knowing, um, and deep connection um, with with our ecological systems that quite frankly, I think a lot of us can still have a lot of room to learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so just acknowledging that organic, when we talk about organic practices, these are, this is not new. Um, this has been around for a long time right. and it's a coming back to and embracing um, the, the power that we can in ecological systems to harness that energy through through organic practices. Yeah, it's not new, and yet new things are emerging in the world of organic agriculture all the time, and the science continues to advance. But I think it's important to take that sort of historical perspective and realize that the reason we need a push now for organic agriculture is because of this emergence of inorganic agriculture, which is all tied to the explosion in fossil fuels and industrialization of our agricultural production that really, as you, you kind of mentioned, has taken us further and further away from the land and the fundamental things that truly sustain us. There is incredible abundance in the land. We just yes. need to know how to harmonize with that and actually work with it and use it rather than sort of impose these other ways of getting abundance that might be good from an economic perspective. Although, like you mentioned, that it also costs a lot, right? So maybe not at a certain yeah. scale. And it depends like what scale you're looking at. Yeah, like where yeah. is the economic benefit? Like in this moment or mm -hmm. in five years, two yeah. years, 10 yeah. years, yeah. And, um, and you also yeah. mentioned, uh, I want to bring us back to like how many farms there are still in Kentucky. And I'm sure we are losing farms in Kentucky. Maybe it's not as extreme as a place like Wisconsin where the loss of family farms in recent decades has been really through the roof uh, through consolidation of agriculture. But we still have a lot of small family farms in Kentucky, right? Yes, this is true. And it's it's in large part because we had so much tobacco production right. in the state. Um, smaller farms were still able to have a small footprint of crops in production, but sell it at a high premium um, because we had, you know, tobacco cooperatives at the time that helped them get that premium, right? Um, and so the smaller family farm, which on average in Kentucky is 170 six acres, um, much smaller than the national average of 400 plus, um, that small farm in Kentucky was able to thrive, which quite honestly, uniquely positions us for, right. for like the success of the highly diversified farm, right? Yeah, Especially yeah. in today's time. So, um, so I see it as a huge opportunity. That said, it's true. Like we are losing farms at a fast rate. And there are, there are lots of reports that show that in Kentucky specifically, we're losing farmland, high production, high value farmland to subdivision development, right? Mm -hmm. So it's getting cut up into 20 acre parcels. And that's where we're losing some of our best land. Um, and so and of course, the epicenter of that is right here around Jefferson County uh, and its <laughs> surrounding neighbors, right? And Louisville's really where we're losing farms the most, I would imagine. 
I, I don't know the actual numbers on the where and the how. There are, um, I know American Farmland Trust has done a state of Kentucky, state of the states kind of report that yeah. shows a, a lot more detail on that at the map and county level. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's interested um, for more details. But it is, you know, there is a need when we're thinking about the future of food production is where is that food going to be grown? Mm -hmm. And what's in place now to ensure that we still have access to that highly productive farmland? Because the farmland that needs a lot of soil health and improvement, um, it, it takes longer to get there, right? It's not an overnight kind of thing. Um, and so mm -hmm. when you're looking at high yields and wanting to maximize that, you need access to mm -hmm. um, quality farmland. That's a that's such an important point. The transition away from organic to inorganic was pretty lightning quick, uh, but the transition back to organic can take a lot more time. In fact, just to get certified as organic, you want to let people know uh, how long that can take? Yeah. So um, it, it depends <laughs> when you're in the world of like organic certification. Yeah. There, I'll just start there. There are like 125 pages of federal regulations and like, <laughs> it's very site specific. And it's always like, it depends. Tell me more. Yeah. Right. <laughs> straight answer. Um, but it's true. Um, typically, if farmland had been farmed conventionally, the earliest that they could transition to certified organic would be 36 months from the date of the last prohibited substance that was applied to that cropland. Mm. That said, if you own a farm and it's been pastured and you haven't put any fertilizer on it or any broadleaf herbicide that's prohibited, um, you could start the paperwork and we would help you with that. Um, and you could <laughs> start moving towards certifying and, and get that application into your certifier tomorrow, right? Theoretically. Um, so it depends. It's all from that date of the last prohibited substance that's been used. But really the, the key, what we're driving at here is that building soil health, uh, while nature is resilient and, and, and has incredible abundance, uh, if you're working on really degraded lands or abused lands or just d decades and decades of inorganic agriculture, it, it can take a while to build up that soil health that gives you the abundance you need to make your farm truly sustainable, right? hundred yeah. percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's really important to acknowledge like it's possible, right? It is what makes it is what makes it po possible to achieve that optimal soil health. And it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, so yeah. 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 So there's still a lot of small family farms in, in Kentucky. How many does Oak work with? So in Kentucky, there are about 200 certified organic farming operations and our programs reach about 15, 1500 farmers every year. Wow. Um, and then we have, um, you know, another 1500 folks who are participating in programs that are community members, researchers, advocates, um, or um, people who are participating in some of our consumer programming that are chef demos, cooking demos, CSA programs, et cetera. Yeah. So there are a lot of farmers in Kentucky that are not certified organic, but really interested in applying these practices on their farm and sharing these practices with their peer network of farmers. You know, over these 12 years, there've been a lot of different farmers that have come through, cycle through, cycle in and out. So it's a pretty dynamic 
dynamic network of folks that are at all parts of the journey, right? Mm, yeah. People have been certified organic for more than 20 years, right. Right? as long as the program's been around. Um, and then there are folks who are just coming to to organics, but they've, they've been farming their whole lives, right? They come from a long family, a long history of farming, but they're like, you know what? To save this farm, we're really interested in organic practices and tell me more about what that looks like and what my market opportunities are. Um, so you have those early adopters, those late adopters, the young beginning farmers, um, backyard gardeners, everyone, right. you know, all types of folks who are interested. Right. And Oak remains farmer driven and farmer led, right? You want to speak a little bit to that and how that works? Of course. Yeah. So we are a membership organization. We have 450 members. Um, our programs are open to anyone who's interested, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not member exclusive, but our, our members do elect our board of directors um, and they do have opportunities for input on all program areas. So they set our priorities for the year ahead. Um, they also provide feedback on all of our events. Um, they select our conference speakers. Um, they participate in committees. Um, and so we're really beholden to what, farmers need now and in the future um, and really just try to provide the program structure to help make that happen and do all of the the networking and fundraising and um, community building on the back end to support it. So glad you mentioned the conference because that's something we want to <laughs> we want to focus on today because it's coming up in January and the early bird uh, deadline uh, to get in on a little discount for registering for the conference is coming up on the 15th of December. So you'll want to make sure to go to oak-ky.org to learn more about the conference and to get yourself registered. We'll return more to some of the conversations we were going down there. But while we're on the topic, you want to give a quick shout out about, about the upcoming organic uh, farming conference. This is an annual event you all have been putting on during the winter time so that farmers can attend right uh for, yeah. for is this the 12th annual or how many have you done <laughs> this is the 12th annual wow. and yes winter time is the only time yeah. you can <laughs> that many farmers in one place yeah, you know exactly <laughs> um, it, it is just the best event and we're so excited to be back in person um you know we've had like 450 people join us in the past in person for wow. this event and um it's it's really production focused we have a lot of sessions about how do you use these organic practices on the farm and we have a lot of sessions that are led by farmers we have a lot of sessions that are um, have farmer voices that are also highlighting all the research that's going on about organic practices in the southeast because quite frankly a lot of the research that's happened in organic agriculture is happening like on the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast, yeah. right? And it's totally different when you're looking at organic systems in the Southeast. We have unique pest and disease pressures, right, to our climate. Um, and so we really try to focus on the regionally appropriate approaches. And so it's three full days, January 26th, 27th, 28th. The 26th is all day um, pre-conference workshops. They're, they're, we have six different ones to choose from. Um, you can choose a morning and an evening. And we have like really exciting speakers. One, Ray Tyler, he's like all about summer greens and how to be profitable. Um, Corinna Bench is all about like increasing your marketing success through a sales funnel. And she's just like the guru of all things direct marketing. Wow. So that's super exciting. Um, and we have one on forest farming, like what you need to know all all the myths, all the how to get started on um, agroforestry. Um, so, and 
many others, um, including how to fund your farm. Is there a grant for that? Which yeah. is really exciting, like the ultimate resource panel for farmers. Um, so that's all the pre-course, uh, the pre-conference workshops. And then on the Friday and Saturday, the 27th and 28th, it's just all day sessions, Ooh. three tracks, farm tours, um, keynotes, two amazing locally sourced lunches. Ooh, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's going to be great. Actually, um, Farm to Fork, Sherry Hurley is catering that for oh, us from wonderful. Louisville. Wonderful. Um, so we're excited for that. Um, and there's just there's something for everyone in this event. This, quite quite frankly, this, you know, this is totally bringing me back, Burke, because uh, the the only uh, Oak Conference I've been able to attend, I think it's the only one I've attended was the very last event I went to before oh. COVID hit. <laughs> It was right down to the wire on that right? one. There was so much we did not know at that point. Yeah, exactly. It was such a halcyon days. Uh, and that was the last time it was in Louisville. So mm -hmm. uh, I can attest that the not only the programming is amazing and the food is so delicious, uh, but another wonderful thing was the, the expo and, and just getting to see and touch some of the tools of organic agriculture, maybe pick up a few for myself, for my home gardening too. But this year's conference is not in Louisville. Where are you going to be? We're going to be in Frankfurt at Kentucky State University's Harold R. Benson Research and Demonstration Farm, which is just a beautiful wow. venue out on a working farm um, that has certified organic land and has an incredible orchard with some really unique pawpaw varieties. And we're just super thrilled to be there in partnership with them. Um, yeah. Yeah. KSU is such a wonderful institution in our state. Uh, maybe goes ignored because it's not in Louisville or Lexington, but wow, what a fantastic place. Uh, and, and it serves so many, uh, so much value to our Kentucky farmers over the years. Uh, and we, you know, we, we, we get so much out of even their extension programs here in Louisville and beyond. So uh, if you haven't been to KSU, oh, yeah. this you is a great, have some great extension agents yeah. there in, in Jefferson County. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do the Oak Conference, let alone you know any of Oak's programs without partnership with folks like KSU um, and our and UK and all the other nonprofits working sort of in this aligned space around mm -hmm. sustainable agriculture. Um, so we're super grateful for all of the partnerships and and um, collaborative resource sharing that happens. Um, I feel like all of the organizations are so connected in the referral process, right? There's like very little overlapping duplication of services um, and a lot of connectivity, making sure farmers get the resources they need. So I guess my point is it doesn't happen in a bubble, right? Like. We need all these organizations and institutions advancing this work. So, yeah, I want to talk more about that, but let me quickly reintroduce you. Our guest today on the program is Brooke Gentile, Executive Director of the Organic Association of Kentucky. You can learn more about them at oak-ky.org. And do it quick because the deadline to early register for uh, the conference that's coming up January 26th through 28th is on December 15th. So, yeah, let's talk about partnerships. What makes this work successful in Kentucky? Oak couldn't possibly do it alone, right? So wh who are some of the organizations that also are supporting the organic transition in the state and how do you work with them? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So Oaks really is an 
open organization, right? So it's anyone who's interested in organics is welcome to the table, participates in conversations, and we actively seek out partnerships for a lot of our programs. So we yeah. haven't really gotten into like all the program areas. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we, have, we have partners that are aligned in very specific program areas. So direct on farmer education, we're working closely with land grant institutions and our other, some of the regional universities and Bria College, right? Because they, they all have sort of a sustainable ag focus yeah. in their programming. But then in the nonprofit sector, there's Community Farm Alliance and the KCARD, the Kentucky Center for Rural and Agricultural Development, and uh, Kentucky Horticulture Council, um, Grow Appalachia um, out of Berea College, and the Food Connection at University of Kentucky. These are all right. folks who are working with a lot of farmers directly, providing technical assistance around programming or markets, and really looking at, at how do we help the family farm thrive. So deep alignment and collaboration there, right? We're all looking to reimagine parts of this really dynamic local food system yeah. so that it thrives for the yeah. long haul, right? Mm -hmm. And so that more farmers can participate, more community members can participate, and we're producing more food locally, mm -hmm. right? Because the short of it, like, we're not producing enough food in Kentucky mm -hmm. to feed like Jefferson County residents alone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, let alone. So there's there's a lot more that can be done to increase production and to increase access yeah. in the state. And so they're just orgs doing that work. The Berry Center folks do great work. There's a lot. I'm sure I've, I've left off plenty, right? It's not, again, there's like so many folks um, in urban areas doing the work um, as well at the community gardening level. So yeah, well, before we go, go over what else Oak does, because I definitely wanted to get to that. Let's talk more about the organic transition and what it looks like for our farms here in Kentucky. It's not necessarily associated with organic certification, right? Like that's just an option for farmers. But talk about what is organic certification and why farmers might want to pursue it. Yeah. So um, if a farm's interested, normally we get calls all the time saying, I want to get certified organic. And we start, we like, okay, tell me about your farm. Tell me about your farm business. Right. What are your business goals? Because really that certification, it communicates a person's values, um, which a lot of people are drawn to, right? Um, but it also, it, it's, it's really a marketing program. Mm -hmm. So we encourage folks to work towards that if it makes sense for their business, right? right? Can, are, is it going to make sense for um, what they want to do now and in the future? Um, because it is paperwork. It is, you know, um, a longer process with a with a certifier. You have to do it annually. It does have a fee, right? In Kentucky, it currently costs $250 and farmers can get 50% of that back through a federal cost share program if it stays in the farm bill, which is a whole nother conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> So, you know, it doesn't really cost a lot, but again, it's just, does this make sense for the, the farm's business plan and what they want to do in terms of marketing? And so that's part of the conversation. Um, and typically, you know, it's a 20 plus page application and you have to submit your records, which includes all of your inputs onto the farm, all of your activities on the farm and all of your outputs. So like in a diversified vegetable operation, that's a lot. You have to show all yeah. of your seed purchases, all of your fertility inputs, all of your tillage activities, all of your planting activities, all of your harvest activities, right? Like this is a lot of record keeping. And a lot of people say, well, this is good business practice. You want to know what your labor hours are. You want to know, you want to have a cost accounting of all these yeah. things to know what's profitable and what's not, right? Mm -hmm. This is how you measure efficiencies. Um, and 
And so there are a lot of farmers who say this is best business practice. Mm -hmm. People who are new to it are like, whoa, this is a lot of paperwork. <laughs> and so it's just. That's not we, why I got into farming. <laughs> we, at, yeah. at Oak, we have organic specialists that sit down at the kitchen table and walk the farm with farmers as long as it takes to help them through this whole process. And I just want to like acknowledge we get phone calls every day about this and people are at all different parts of the journey, right? And so we are here to meet them wherever they're at and answer the questions. There is no wrong question when it comes yeah. to this, right? Because there's a lot of like misinformation out there. Um, and so we just start wherever people need to start and go from there. So we've worked with farmers for as short as like a couple hours just to review their paperwork before they send it into the certifier to as long as like three years, mm. right? Um, and then we're always on call for follow-up or in the in the moment. Um, if you get a letter from your certifier that says you have a non-compliance, you have 15 days to reply, and you don't understand why we're here, we help with that. Yeah. So anyways, it's a process and it's different for everyone. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, we've worked with about 170 farmers uh, since 2016 through this program. And about half of them have certified during that time. Quarter of them are in active transition. They're like, okay, uh -huh. we're set up. We know what we want to do, but it's not time yet, you know, or I want to wait until we're market ready, that kind of thing. And then another 25% are like, thank you so much. I know what I need to know. I'm not interested. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're still incredible farmers and come to all the programs yeah. and do all the things, right? Well, um, so. And like I said, there's all kinds of organic practices one can adopt without even pursuing certification. And it is, it is a barrier. So, I mean, what, less than 1% of all U.S. farmland is, is certified organic. But what does it look like in Kentucky? Oh, I would say it's it's trending similarly to a little less in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, the national data we don't get on like we only get it every five years yeah. with that ag census, and so we're due for another one next year. So I would say what we have is a little outdated. Um, in Kentucky, it was you know estimated fifteen thousand acres harvested that are certified organic. But I'll just put it in context: like we worked with three with farmers that are managing 3,000 acres of farmland mm -hmm. this year alone, just through that organic transition program. So whether they certify or not, you know, we know that that's, that's another 3,000 acres mm -hmm. that, that's being managed with those practices, which is exciting. But, but back to your point, yes, less than 1% of all farmland in, in the nation is certified organic. Yeah. And so we're talking about a niche movement and a, you know, it is, it is a small representation of all that farmland, but what a powerful opportunity when you think about like, what if there was a rapid transformation of those practices right. and increased adoption of even some of these practices right. would radically transform our ecosystems right. across the nation and in Kentucky, which I would say is needed based on what we're seeing in terms of drought, right? Organic practices, it allows that soil to um, have water infiltrate faster and not run off, right? It holds more moisture in the soil, actually. So those those crops are more resilient during periods of drought. And there's research that shows, right, that yields are higher in organic systems under weather extremes when compared to their conventional crops. So, you know, there are real solutions that organic farming practices offer. 
And I get excited thinking about what does that look like modeling wise when you look at that rapid adoption? It, I'll just point out, it's also really hopeful that we could use organic agriculture as a way to address climate change, too. Uh, many people have done studies about this and, you know, <laughs> the amount of carbon emissions that are associated with the industrial form in inorganic agriculture, man, if, if we could get agriculture right, we would be way down the path of, of addressing the global climate crisis, too. And so there are just so many reasons from a policy or addressing the big problems of humanity kind of perspective to, to transition to organic. But the reasons of individual farmer might do it come down to what's going on on their land, too, right? So I want to talk about what some of those good organic practices are. And I want to emphasize that we're not just talking about vegetables. You mentioned vegetable farming, right? But this applies to any kind of farm, or it could be an orchard, or it could be a, a fiber farm or an animal farm, right? Correct. Yeah. And corn and soybeans even, you yeah. know, um, and in Kentucky specifically, we have a lot of dairy farms that are certified organic in different parts of the state. So yeah, it applies to all different types of crops and animals, um, including wild harvest. You know, when you're thinking about medicinal woodland species, you know, there's a lot that could be certified there as well. So we are talking about all different food products um, and, and non-food products, right? There's or, organic hemp is a thing, right? Yeah. And fiber. So there's a lot there. What else? Well, I was just going to ask, what are the, some of those practices? What, what does an organic oh, yeah, yeah. farm look like compared to an inorganic? Yeah, I mean, we sort of talked about this closer to the beginning, thinking about, you know, the, the goal of an organic farm is to always work towards improving soil health and on-farm biodiversity and improving those natural resources. So thinking about how are you farming so that you're improving water quality? How are you farming so that you are reducing emissions and Im improving those efficiencies on farm, right? So the, the goal of those organic farming systems is, is very foundational, right? It's it's not as, I mean, it is output driven too, right? Because farms need to be financially viable, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, but the way that farmers are doing that is through extended crop rotations, rotational grazing, using cover crops, trying to use tillage less than other operations, right? Acknowledging that in organic systems, that's hard because these things called weeds, <laughs> weed pressure is very real, um, particularly in the Southeast region. Sure. Um, and so, but a lot of that is timing and knowing, right? If you are a farmer, you are observing everything. That is your first resource is observation and knowing of what's happening. And so you're timing your planting so that you're out-competing weeds, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're reducing your tillage because you, the time timing of your tillage event is precise to when you know that seed is going to germinate, right? So there's a lot to it that is built on just decades, century, millennia of knowledge, right? And that's where we get back to just how do we observe those ecosystems and how do we know our regional, our, our site, very site-specific conditions so that we can be responsive and proactive to make sure that that organic system thrives so that you don't need an intervention that mm -hmm. has more serious environmental impacts, mm -hmm. right? And like all things, like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times like you're, you learn while you go, or I mean, quite frankly, that is why O came together right. because farmers learn from other farmers, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I'm not a farmer. I'm not up there talking about what to do, right? Um, we get those farmer experts and those beginning farmers together mm -hmm. um, in the same room. And that's where the magic happens. I know. Yeah. That is yeah. always exciting to watch. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll just want to highlight about organic practices is like sustainability itself it is built on diversity 
we know that healthy functioning ecosystems are inherently diverse and in modern industrial agriculture inorganic agriculture is inherently undiverse right like that's what makes it work for the machines right and and in the use of the chemicals and everything else is to drive us towards a monoculture which nature abhors, right? And will come in and try to disrupt. And so an organic farm is, is yeah. going to look very different because it's going to be a polyculture. You're going to see all kinds of different things growing on land that is managed with organic practices, right? So true. And it, it's really, how do you mimic what happens in nature right. as much as possible in your farming system? And so part of that is really using conservation practices on the farm and creating that biodiversity, um, both in your production system mm -hmm. and in those wildland areas in your periphery, right? So you have that habitat for the beneficials you need, right? You're not just like killing everything off so that you don't have any weeds, but it, that takes time and thoughtful planning yeah. and resources and extra management. And so part of the work we do is, is also working with community members to increase the value of those things, right? And acknowledge that that's an important part of our thriving food future is to increase that biodiversity on farm. And so knowing what's happening on your farmer's farm, asking about those practices, visiting farms, right? Like right. it's an amazing thing to get on the farm and you see like all of their beehives and you see all of the birdhouses, right? <laughs> and all of the native pollinator habitat, right? right, um, right. And so there's a lot that is happening on farms that's not just related to those delicious bunch of kale that you have <laughs> a lot behind the scenes that supports that delicious bunch of kale so right right well my guest today here on sustainability now is brooke gentile executive director of the organic association of kentucky you can learn more at oak-ky.org supporting the transition to organic and sustainable agriculture throughout the state uh, the reason we're having Brooke on today is to talk about the upcoming Organic Farming Conference, January 26th to 28th. Early bird registration closes on December 15th, so get in on it now. But you do a lot more than just this amazing annual conference, so let's end our conversation by talking about all that stuff. You want to you wanna tell us about your farmer field days? I just love them. Yes, of course. Um, they're definitely one of the most fun things we do. Uh, we do monthly field days, uh, March through November. And this is really where we hear from farmer stakeholders. What farms do they want to visit? Um, what do they have going on their farms that they want to share? Right. Um, and what are their unique challenges that they want more hands-on demonstrations for? Mm -hmm. um, and we try to do these all around the state. We went way far east to Greenup County this year, um, and we were all the way over in Christian County looking at a corn and soybean operation, but also like highly diversified um, cover cropping mix, and it's all draft power operation. Mm. Um, and so really cool um, farming systems. Um, we were, you know, close by in Crestwood, Kentucky at Rootbound Farm, which I know a lot of your listeners yeah. um, probably know Love of. That place. Um, they serve the Louisville area and looking at their um, really diversified operation with vegetables, but also, you know, they have pastured poultry and sheep on the farm. Oh, so wow. looking at, we had, you know, over 65 people out there looking at their integrated crop livestock systems and traveling all over the farm, hearing from them. So these are the times where we get farmers together with farmers and talking and seeing these, uh, these systems in practice, but also like looking at the equipment yeah. and seeing it in action in the field. And, oh, you use 
use that drip tape. This is what I used. Or where'd you get that? I mean, just things that you don't ever write into a script. It's just the conversations <laughs> that happen there that really advance a farmer's practice and reduces the learning curve on some uh-huh. things, whether it's like how to scale up or how to finance or, you know, going in on a bulk purchase order for a cover crop seed. You know, there are just all these magical social connections that happen in those spaces. So field days are open to anyone who's interested. We have just finished our season um, for 2022 and we'll launch 2023, probably late January, at least in part. It's still sort of in development as these things are when you're planning a whole conference also. (laughs) There's only so much time, right? (laughs) And so uh, we have a great group of folks out for those. And we also try to connect with other organizations and uh, institutional expert speaker voices during those times as well. Well, and I want to emphasize, too, I imagine most of our listening audience are not farmers here in Jefferson County. There's there's obviously some and lots of people, maybe backyard gardeners, that kind of thing. But these farmer field days are open to everyone, as you say, and this could be a great way for some of our eaters, consumers of these products to actually go visit the kinds of farms where they're produced, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we have in the past offered community member farm tour events as well. And that's sort of been restricted during COVID, right? Okay. But we do offer community classes that are cooking classes oh, and yeah. chef demos as well. And pre-COVID, we did this great film series. So we're hoping to bring some of that back also. We did three film screenings around the state and just had the best time. Wonderful. So they're always really fun ways to connect people with agricultural systems, either on the farm or in that entertainment space yeah. to know more about what happens behind the scene. Because let's be honest, like if you don't live on a farm, you really don't know what goes on there that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of consumers, you help with the consumer side of things in terms of helping connect eaters to community supported agriculture programs, right? You want to talk about that? aspect of what Oak does? Yeah. So we were super lucky to be in partnership with farmers and some institutional partners on a workplace wellness CSA program back in 2015 pilot. So we've been working on it since then and it's grown. We're now working with 16 employers and seven farms. And these employers all offer an incentive to purchase a CSA share. So most of those employees are getting a $200 or more voucher to go towards a purchase of a CSA share, which is incredible. And these employers are doing it as a wellness benefit because they know when people eat vegetables, they are healthier, Yeah. right? And this is not crazy rocket science, right? (laughs) But we actually have, because we have some great partners on this, we have research that shows that there are in fact diet-related medical and pharmaceutical savings when you eat that many vegetables. Yeah. So any listeners out there, if you're interested in having a workplace CSA program, reach out to us anytime. Um, You can reach us through the website and we are happy to talk with you or your employer, your HR director, your wellness director, whoever we do it all the time. But there are just some really incredible opportunities to bring CSA into the workplace. So we participate in a statewide CSA fair, both in the spring and in the fall, really promoting and elevating CSA as a way to be in long-term relationship with your farmer and know how your food is grown. And I guess I should have said this at the beginning. CSA is community supported agriculture. <laughs> I do this enough, I should know. Yeah. Where you would get a, a weekly share of the farm bounty. Whatever's in harvest that week, you would get a weekly share of it. And it's just, it makes it easy to source locally. It makes it easy for you to know the farmer and what's going on on the farm. And I just love picking it up every week and seeing the farmer, right? And it's ruined going to the store sometimes for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, and as a lifelong learner, I love to be challenged by a CSA, right? It challenges you because it puts in front of you in your kitchen things maybe you weren't expecting to work with this week or maybe things you've never even tried before, right? Because you're just you're yeah. just sharing in the bounty. Obviously, there'll be some more familiar things, but then others that stretch you a little. And I just love that. And a lot of CSAs support that by giving you recipes and things like that, too. You get all the good how-to resources, all absolutely. But I'll tell you, the best part is seeing kids, like, open that box up and then, like, those <laughs> peas, you know, like, sweet peas in their mouth or um, look, take a huge bite out of the daikon radish, right? That's what happened most recently. So um, there, there are real joys in yeah. seeing that CSA box open in the home and have everyone dig into it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our time, so let's quickly talk about a few more things on the horizon for Oak. The Transition to Organic Partnership Program. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is part of the possibility of that rapid adoption of organic practices. USDA has put a lot of money towards organic adoption and towards climate smart practices. So that's that climate smart practices is a separate conversation. But this one in particular is very focused on how do we better support farmers interested in that organic transition and how do we provide that technical assistance and general outreach and education to break down barriers to entry to organics, nice. right? So USDA is putting $300 million towards the project broadly and $100 million towards this transition to organic partnership program. And so Oak will be participating in that with a regional lead. Um, there's like 10 states in our region that are doing it and six different regions across the nation. So more to come on that, but we're just, we want to acknowledge that it's really exciting to see USDA put some money towards this really big need, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and to make sure that that hurdle for farmers isn't such a huge hurdle and that we are able to provide support long-term for them. It would be, it's it's a five-year project, which is incredible. Wow. And so it, it would help us expand the work that we're currently doing, that we have been doing, mm -hmm. um, but it would, it would allow us to sort of expand the scope of that um, and do it in partnership with a whole, with a national network of folks working towards that same goal, which nice. is really exciting. Wow. Yeah. And then lastly, you're going to be working on a farm sustainability assessment tool. Tell me about oh, that. Oh, gosh, this is a whole nother program. Yeah. <laughs> We have been working in partnership with some international partners on this global farm metric farm sustainability assessment tool for the past year and a half. And what's exciting about this tool is that it looks at how do we measure sustainability on the farm ecosystem in a way that's holistic, mm. right? In a way that is, yes, looking about looking at soil health and water quality and biodiversity and emissions, but it's also looking at like, what are the human and social implications of this farm? How many jobs is it creating? What's the power dynamic on the farm, right? Do the farm workers have access to health insurance? Like it's it's really looking at all yeah. of these, are they paid fair wages, right? It's wow. looking at all of, it's the whole farm ecosystem, which is we think very important, right? When we think about long-term sustainability. Yeah. And so it's been a long process to adapt this tool. It was developed to be used in um, the UK. And so we've had to make a lot of changes to the back-end data and benchmarking to, to ground it in what's what makes sense for U.S. farming systems um, while still being tied to those global benchmarks. And we're excited to launch farm trials in 2023, cool. which is really exciting. So if anyone's interested in learning more about that project, I really invite you to get on the website and shoot us an email and we'll follow up. We haven't been super public about it yet because we've just been like in our little like data den trying to, to adapt <laughs> to the tool. Um, but we're, we're excited to get it out 
um, in the hands of farmers um, to to get a lot of data into it and see see how it performs. Well, we'll I. See. I think that's super important, um, not just because I'm a fan of, you know, measuring things so that we manage them, but also because it centers organic as climate smart. And we we know in this moment we have to be aggressively addressing the climate crisis. And, mm -hmm. you know, we just one reminder after another about that nationally, globally and here in Kentucky. Right. So to tie our organic transition to that necessary transition, I think, is really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope I the guess, trials you know, go well. One thing that I want to say is that you know what's cool about this tool is that it, it's not just for organic farms it's really based on those practices so yeah. we've been talking a lot about organic specifically but i just want to acknowledge that you know sustainable agriculture agroecological practices permaculture practices there are all these words that we use in the space regenerative agriculture that are really talking about those those practices that are foundational to organic systems that are at play here and that's really what's exciting both about this tool because that's what it's based on right yeah. It's really looking at how are the farms using these and what are the impacts on the farm. Um, but it's just broadly a lot about what Oak's mission is. How do we advance these practices? Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. And of course, we've really run out of time to talk about it, but you did mention the farm bill and that's something that Oak is always involved in. And I do hope to do a full show on this uh, coming up because the farm bill won't be voted on until September, right? But there's still a lot of work to be done. In just a minute or two, you want to talk about what Oak's going to do around the farm bill? Yeah, I'll share a little bit. Um, so I'll start by saying we are not the experts on the farm bill. <laughs> We're learning. You know, we really stay in the um, production space and technical assistance space, but the Farm Bill is something that our stakeholders have been asking more and more about because it is an enormous piece of legislation that funds a lot of opportunities or doesn't fund opportunities for agriculture. But there's a ton of money, right, that's available. Um, and so there's a real opportunity, particularly when we think about how can we support this rapid transition? How can we design legislation that supports climate smart practices, yeah. right, at a broad scale, not just on certified organic farms, but for all farms? How can we incentivize these practices, right? And that's what would happen in the Farm Bill. It incentivizes conservation practices, right? So there are opportunities there for sure. We really do look to both our regional leads on that. So Community Farm Alliance has great yeah. advocacy group. And so we look to them. They're doing a session at our conference, right? Um, and we'll, we'll lift up their expertise in this space. And then we also look to national partners at Organic Farmers Association and the National Sustainable Agriculture Network. They're national organizations that set really big policy agendas in this space. And their expertise is just amazing because you have to like navigate, you know, politics. Yeah. It's, a whole, it's a whole quagmire out there. So, <laughs> but the main thing is get involved, learn more. The resources that Community Farm Alliance and the Kentucky Food Action Network, KFAN, is putting out around the Farm Bill are really incredible resources that are accessible for farmers and community members alike. And you do not have to know a single thing about the Farm Bill. You do not have to know a single thing about talking to your representatives. There are resources available to support you through the whole process. So Wonderful. it's a huge opportunity to speak up about what you wanna see for your local food system and for your national food system. So um, I encourage everyone to learn more. All right, well, with that, we gotta pull this tractor to the barn, I think. Uh, thank you so much, Brooke, for taking the time to join me today and telling us more about the great work of Oak. Again, you can stay in touch with them at oak-ky.org and get registered for the upcoming annual conference in January by December 15th. That's your deadline to take advantage of those early bird discounts. Uh, thanks so much, Brooke. This was
was a great pleasure. Yeah. I want to just say that you can register all the way up until conference oh, right. for the conference. Right. right. The early bird ends on December 15th. Perfect. <laughs> all right. I hope to talk to you again soon. And uh, stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a minute, I've got your community action calendar. So stay tuned for ideas on how to take action for sustainability this week here in Louisville. I'll be right back. here on sustainability now with your community action calendar so i hope you've got your pencils sharpened my friends here's a bunch of ideas for you for just this week alone registration has just opened for the spring neighborhood institute do you want to learn about how to improve your neighborhood well the lucille leggett neighborhood institute hosted by our friends at the center for neighborhoods is a 12-week, no-cost leadership education program designed to equip neighborhood leaders with skills and resources needed to initiate positive change in their communities. It runs from January 26th through April 13th for 11 consecutive Thursdays from 6 to 8.30 p.m. with sessions at the neighbor Center for Neighborhoods there at 1126 Berry Boulevard. And dinner is provided each week, and then there's a graduation ceremony in the 12th week. For more information, you can go to centerforneighborhoods.org. And this is the week when registration has opened, so get on it and check it out. Trees Louisville is also seeking volunteer help with a bunch of December tree plantings. I was just out planting trees this past weekend and uh, enjoying some of our sunny December weather. Uh, well, this week they need help on Tuesday the 6th from 2 to 4 p.m. out at the Bon Air neighborhood KYTC property. That's the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet property there. Uh, the, you'll be leading uh, a group in planting 30 trees at this property near the Waterson Expressway. If you're interested in helping out with that, you can email Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, at treeslouisville.org. And also coming up on Saturday the 10th, they need help from 1230 to 230 at the Parkland Plaza Nature Play Space. They'll be mulching, planting perennials, and moving things around. This event is open to the public, so feel free to bring a friend. Again, contact Morgan at treeslouisville.org if you can help out with either of those. Also on Tuesday the 6th at 6.30 p.m. at the main library, it's the My Library University Fast Class on Learning How to Learn, Strategies for Building Knowledge, taking place right across the alley from us here at the main library on York Street. UofL learning expert Dr. Jennifer Anderson will demystify how learning works with easy-to-use strategies for building your brain. In this interactive session, participants will identify research-backed learning principles in psychology, education, and cognitive science, and discuss practical ways to apply them to better build and retain knowledge. This program is free and open to the public. They'd love it if you would register, and you could do so at lfpl.org. But again, it's this 630 
p.m. on Tuesday the 6th at the main library. Now, coming up on Wednesday, December 7th, it's the next in the Project Warm Energy Savings Workshops. They're doing a series of these workshops throughout the late fall and early winter. And on Wednesday the 7th, they'll be out at the Shively Area Ministries from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. These workshops, again, are designed to help you lower your utility bills by reducing your energy usage without sacrificing comfort. They focus on energy conservation, especially on getting the maximum amount of warmth in the winter and with the minimum amount of electricity, thus reducing your electric bills and gas bills. They also touch on reducing water use to reduce your water bill as well. Hands-on training is provided, including learning how to cover your windows in clear interior plastic. It's a major energy saver for virtually any home. Each participant will receive free supplies, a bag full to cover their windows with clear interior plastic, and to perform other easy energy-saving actions at home. You can learn more and register at Project warm.org it's this wednesday at 1 30 p.m at shively area ministries now coming up on thursday the 8th it's the fourth street night market from 4 to 8 p.m on south fourth street between guthrie and chestnut louisville downtown partnership and the louisville independent business alliance bring you this monthly thursday night market series on south fourth street in downtown louisville featuring food shopping and live music located between guthrie and chestnut streets the streets will close at 4 p.m to allow foot traffic into the streets we're going to take over the streets with pedestrians and Crowler Catering will serve up craft beers and wine and will have entertainment throughout. It runs from 4 to 8 p.m. on 4th Street between Guthrie and Chestnut on Thursday. More information at keeplouisvilleweird.com. Now, coming up Friday at noon, it's the next in the protests against the LGE Bullet County pipeline that is being proposed to cut through Bernheim Arboretum. They're gathering every Friday at noon this month in front of LGE. They're at 220 West Main Street, including this Friday, the 9th, and then also the 16th, and even the 23rd, right before Christmas Eve. LGE LG and KU is taking Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest to court to condemn their property in order to construct a high-pressure natural gas transmission pipeline. The court date is January 10th, and Bernheim is using its scarce resources to fight this aggression. It's time for those of us who love Bernheim and oppose new destructive fossil fuel initiatives to fight this battle. Here are reasons why LGE should be denied the condemnation. Uh, by eminent domain. One, it violates Bernheim's conservation easement. If LGE wins in court, this will be a terrible precedent for all natural lands with conservation easements. Secondly, there will be serious environmental damage from the construction and maintenance of this pipeline. Its route disrupts significant and fragile habitat and interrupts a wildlife corridor connecting several natural areas. This area is demonstrably unstable, and running a pipeline through it risks landslides and flooding. There's a high likelihood of a pipeline rupture, which could cause an explosion and forest fire, or at least leaking of pipes and pollutants entering streams and underground waterways. The land includes bat habitat, and Bernheim recently documented 13 bat species utilizing a wide swath of Bernheim for roosting and foraging. The land's also home to a couple of rare and endangered snails, creatures that have lived in this area for millions of years. 
Spending vast sums of money to increase carbon emissions is blatantly a finan financially motivated with no regard for the consequences. And it is even questionable as to whether this pipeline is needed at all. One of the major users of energy in the area that this pipeline is intended to serve is the Jim Beam Distillery. And Jim Beam recently announced that it will meet a majority of its energy needs through renewable biogas production, thus obviating the need for this fossil fuel pipeline. So what can you do? Well, you can sign the new petition that is available at bernheim.org slash forest under threat. You can make a special donation to Bernheim's Land Protection Fund at bernheim.org to help pay for the legal fees they're facing. And again, you can join their Friday protests. Bring your signs, dress in costume, or just come. Fridays at noon in front of lg &E at 220 West Main. Coming up this Friday the 9th, as well as the 16th and 23rd. Now, coming up on Saturday, December 10th, One Love Louisville is doing an ambassador training. Learn the tools to prevent violence. It's from 9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Louisville Free Public Library main branch right here on York Street. The Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods would like to invite you to be part of the next One Love Louisville ambassador training on Saturday. It's an opportunity for citizens to help us create a safer Louisville through safe and effective interventions taught by experts in Stop the Bleed, Conflict Resolution, Mental Health 101, Domestic Violence Awareness, the Public Health Approach to Violence, and Community Organizing. This will be an in-person event and food and refreshments are served. Registra register to participate at eventbrite.com. Just search for Violence Prevention Ambassador training and again it's this saturday 9 30 a.m to 2 30 p.m at the main public library now also saturday the 10th there's going to be a beginner birding hike at the louisville nature center from 10 a.m to noon you take your birding to the next level on this guided hike jacob will be helping participants identify some of louisville's beautiful birds participants will learn id tips such as field marks behavior habitat vocalizations and more it's for all skill levels of birding ages 12 and up and binoculars are certainly recommended you can learn more and get tickets at louisvillenaturecenter.org and on saturday the 10th at 11 a.m there is a west louisville housing fair at 4018 West Market Street from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Home ownership, of course, plays a vital role in helping to build strong, stable communities and, gen and generate wealth. You are invited to join the Metro Office of Equity for an informative presentation on redlining and breakout sessions with credit repair, real estate, and lending experts. It's the West Louisville Housing Fair on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1.30 at 4018 West Market Street. Coming up on Sunday, the 11th, there is a winter tree ID hike back out at the Louisville Nature Center from 1 to 3 p.m. The colder months can feel slow in the forest, but it's actually a perfect time to enhance your tree identification skills. To know a tree by its bark is the easiest way to identify species year-round. On this hike, Fen will take your tree ID skills to the next level. Learn more and get your tickets at louisvillenaturecenter.org. And lastly, I want to mention Gardens Glimmer, a benefit for Waterfront Botanical Gardens, is running now through the end of the month at Waterfront Botanical Gardens. They're at 1435 Frankfurt Avenue. You can enjoy a sparkling winter wonderland of swans, snowflakes, deer, Moravian stars, oversized flowers, light burst candles, and a multicolored tunnel of lights. Wander the gardens under icicle arches and over a waterfall stream aglow. Visit Santa and his sleigh in the Grazer, uh, Grazer Family Education 
Center and Mrs. Claus's Cottage in the LNT Leslie Botanical Classrooms. Holiday beverages will be available for purchase in the Jingle All the Way Cafe. No outside food or drink or pets or smoking or vaping is allowed inside the gardens. You can learn more and purchase tickets at waterfrontgardens.org. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to being back in your ears in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Thank you.